TED Audio Collective. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. You're growing a business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate, no coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. The stakes to save the Colorado River are high. So if there's no water, there's no water for everybody. California and six other states on the river must reach a compromise, but they're divided. The fate of the river may come down to a 28-year-old. This is a historic thing coming. The people and the real human drama behind the historic negotiations. Listen to Imperfect Paradise, the Gen Z water dealmaker, wherever you get podcasts. Hello again, it's me, your host, Dan Cortler. Welcome back to another episode of TED Climate, a podcast from the TED Audio Collective. Today, we're talking about weird weather patterns and how much climate change has to do with them. From the raging wildfires in Australia to the devastating winter storm in Texas, it seems like the weather is getting a lot more extreme these days. In fact, the number of extreme weather events has been on the rise for the last 40 years. And current predictions suggest that trend will continue. Whenever I see this stuff in the news, I immediately think, well, that's climate change in action. But are these natural disasters actually due to our changing climate, or are they simply bad weather? To answer this question, we need to understand the differences between weather and climate, what they are, how we predict them, and what those predictions can tell us. Meteorologists define weather as the conditions of the atmosphere at a particular time and place. Currently, researchers can predict a region's weather for the next week with roughly 80% accuracy. On the other hand, climate describes a region's average atmospheric conditions over periods of a month or more. Climate predictions can forecast average temperatures for decades to come, but they can't tell us what specific weather events to expect. Basically, this means that meteorologists can predict London will be sunny and beautiful tomorrow, but it will still be rainy and dismal as a general rule in 20 years. I love you, London. Never change. These two types of predictions give us such different information because they're based on different data. To forecast weather, meteorologists need to measure the atmosphere's initial conditions. These are the current levels of precipitation, air pressure, humidity, wind speed, and wind direction. So twice every single day, meteorologists from over 800 stations around the globe release balloons into the atmosphere. <sighs> you gotta love scientists, right? And these aren't just regular fun balloons, they're science balloons. They carry instruments called radiosondes, which measure initial conditions and transmit their findings to international weather centers. Meteorologists can then run that data through predictive physics models to generate our final weather forecast. 
Unfortunately, uh, there is something stopping this global web of data from producing a perfect prediction. As you probably know from being a human on planet Earth, weather is a fundamentally chaotic system. This means it's incredibly sensitive and impossible to perfectly forecast without absolute knowledge of all the system's elements. In a period of just 10 days, even incredibly small disturbances in one part of the world can massively impact atmospheric conditions in another. This makes it impossible to reliably predict weather beyond two weeks. Climate prediction, on the other hand, is far less turbulent. This is partly because a region's climate is, by definition, the average of all of its weather data, but it's also because climate forecasts ignore what's currently happening in the atmosphere and focus instead on the range of what could happen. These parameters are known as boundary conditions, and as their name suggests, they act as constraints on climate and weather. So what does that mean? Well, one example of a boundary condition is solar radiation. By analyzing the precise distance and angle between a location and the sun, we can determine the amount of heat that area will receive. And since we know how the sun behaves throughout the year, we can accurately predict its effects on temperature. Average across years of data, this reveals periodic patterns like seasons. Most boundary conditions change slowly, if at all. So researchers can reliably predict climate years into the future. But here's where it gets tricky. Even the slightest change in these boundary conditions represents a way bigger shift for the chaotic weather system. For example, Earth's surface temperature has warmed about one degree Celsius over the last 150 years. Now, this might seem like a minor shift for one boundary condition, but this one degree change has added the energy equivalent of roughly one million nuclear warheads into the atmosphere. Yeah, you heard that right. This massive surge of energy has already led to a dramatic increase in the number of heat waves, droughts, and storm surges. So, is the increase in extreme weather due to random chance or changing climate? Well, the answer is that while weather will always be a chaotic system, shifts in our climate do increase the likelihood of extreme weather events. Scientists are in universal agreement that our climate is changing and that human activity is accelerating those changes. But fortunately, we can identify what human behaviors are impacting the climate by tracking which boundary conditions are shifting. So even though next month's weather might always be a mystery, predicting these patterns is the first step in protecting our climate for centuries to come. So, yeah. The weather is getting more extreme, and yes, it is our fault. We can work together to slow down our changing climate, but what do we do in the meantime? Areas around the world, especially islands and coastal cities, are under urgent threat from these extreme weather events. Well, this is where human ingenuity comes into play. Many places have already incorporated really inventive strategies to thrive amid less-than-ideal conditions. So, as an example, let's look at how the Netherlands, a country that should literally be underwater, has managed to stay afloat. In January of 1953, a tidal surge shook the North Sea. The Titanic waves flooded the Dutch coastline, killing almost 2,000 people. 54 years later, a similar storm threatened the region. But this time, the Netherlands were ready. 
As the water swelled, state-of-the-art computer sensors activated emergency protocols. Over the next 30 minutes, a pair of 240-meter steel arms swung shut, protecting the channel ahead. Using 680-ton ball joints, the barrier moved in rhythm with the shifting wind and waves. By morning, the storm had passed with minimal flooding, and the first field activation of the Maslantikating had been a resounding success. As one of the planet's largest mobile structures, this storm surge barrier is a marvel of human engineering. But the Maslantikating, say that five times fast, is just one part of a massive interlocking system of water controls known as the Delta Works, the most sophisticated flood prevention project on the planet. The Netherlands has a long history with water management. The country lies along the delta of three major European rivers, and nearly a quarter of its territory is below sea level. This geography makes the region extremely prone to flooding. So much so that some of the earliest Dutch governing bodies were informal water boards that coordinated flood protection projects. But after the storms of 1953, the Dutch government took more official measures. They established the Delta Commission and tasked them with protecting the entire southwestern region. Focusing on densely populated cities, their aim was to reduce the annual odds of flooding below 1 in 10,000. Accomplishing this lofty goal required various infrastructure projects along the southwestern coast. The first line of defense was to dam the region's flood-prone estuaries. These large inlets fed many of the country's rivers into the North Sea, and during storms, they allowed flood water to surge inland. But using a series of dams, the Delta Commission transformed these estuaries into expansive lakes that now serve as nature preserves and community parks. However, this solution wouldn't work for the Nuva Vaterve. As the lifeblood of the local shipping industry, this passage had to be kept open in safe conditions and barricaded during storm surges. In 1998, the completed Maslentikating provided the flexible protection necessary. Alongside additional barriers like grassy dikes and concrete seawalls, these fortifications made up the bulk of the Delta Works project, which was primarily focused on holding back ocean storms. But in the following decades, the Dutch pursued additional plans to complement the Delta Works and protect against floods even further inland. Under the Room for the River plan, farms and dikes were relocated away from the shore. This left more space for water to collect in low-lying floodplains, creating reservoirs and habitats for local wildlife. This strategic retreat not only decreased flood risk, but it also allowed for the redeveloped settlements to be built more densely and sustainably. Rotterdam, a thriving city almost entirely below sea level, took this even further. When a storm threatens, a bunch of defenses kick into gear. Densely populated older districts are protected by traditional dikes. Many structures around the city, such as parking garages and plazas, transform into water storage facilities. Newer districts have been artificially elevated, often sporting green roofs that also store rainwater and look very nice. And in the harbor, there are amazing amphibious structures that float on the water and rise with the water level. Even more amazing, some of these purify water and capture solar energy. Today, the Netherlands continues to find new ways to make cities more resilient to natural disasters. And as rising sea levels caused by climate change threaten coastal regions across the world, the Netherlands' floating cities offer some suggestions for how to rise above it all. <sighs> Don't you love hearing about people that have more or less figured it out? It gives me hope. It makes me remember, like, right, humans are smart. Maybe, just maybe, we're not doomed. 
Extreme weather is part of our future, and we can use our unique intelligence to adapt to these new conditions. But there are limitations to this, so it's also important that we continue to direct our efforts towards slowing down climate change. And as we learned today, we're actually kind of smart sometimes. So I think we can figure that out too. You can learn more about the people doing just this and get involved yourself by joining Countdown, TED's global initiative to accelerate solutions to the climate crisis in collaboration with future stewards. Find out more at countdown.ted.com. Anyway, as always, thanks for tuning in. More next time on how we can change climate change. TED Climate is produced and edited by Shina Ozaki, mixed by Sam Baer, and hosted by me, Dan Cortler. This episode adapted two lessons originally produced in animated form by the TED-Ed team. Is the Weather Actually Becoming More Extreme? was written by Ramalingam Savaradan with support from Emma Bryce and me. And Why Isn't the Netherlands Underwater? was written by Stefan All with support from Alex Gendler and myself. Our fact checker was Edin Germa. Special thanks to Alex Rosenthal, Gerta Jello, Michelle Quint, Ben Ben Chang, and Anna Phelan. Thank you.